<laughs> uh, you might ought to have held the applause until afterwards whether you wanted to do that or not. Uh, I feel privileged that Pastor Luke asked me to um, share this morning on the, the charge uh, because uh, Haley and Trevor... Haley, our granddaughter, my wife sitting here, I appreciate them so very much, and Trevor, their life that they live, the commitment that they have, the family that they're uh, raising, so we thank God for that. My wife and I have, um, just have three children, then we have 11 grandchildren, (laughs) of which Haley, of course, and then uh, my grandson, John, his wife, Samantha, and their baby, uh, Rella. And uh, then it goes on out to the great-grandchildren. How many? Number 14 is on the way. The house is not going to get any bigger than what I have, so they're going to have to, you know, just uh, that to get there. When they all end, we have, a, we have quite a, a family. But... This is a privilege, and I'm going to share. Uh, I won't preach like Pastor Luke. Every pastor, every preacher has, the, uh, has their own way that God gives them and style that they use. But what I will assure you of is what I preach will be, as Pastor Luke does, no doubt, will be the Word of God and be the principles from the Word of God to live by. Uh, the deacons, it's called a, a charge, and according to Webster, it is uh, to in, impose a task or responsibility on. And I think that fits if you bring it around and understand that there is a task, there is work to being a deacon, And there is an awesome responsibility to be a spiritual leader and worker in God's house and among his people. So this morning, again, now, one, I don't know, Pastor Luke, he might might only preach about 15 minutes. I may go 20. Does that sound about right? I've been here when Pastor Luke preached. I think it's a little longer than 15 minutes. But anyway, and by the way, I have been uh, at this church a long time ago. At one point, I was uh, an interim pastor here years ago, and uh, one of the times without pastor. And yeah, I have been around a while. I've been in the ministry preaching for about 53 53 years, I guess, somewhere in that, and God has used, I trust that he's used me through the years, and anything that was accomplished was by his grace, and it was for his glory. And today, as we share this with you, I just want to, prior to this point, now this is something that I, I thought about as I sat in this that some things that these men have uh, already done or have been as one is that they were asked or invited to become a deacon to fill that uh, position in the church. No doubt that these men, their family and others 
uh, prayed about this and uh, following that is after prayer much consideration that they have become satisfied themselves that this is the will of God and that somewhere along the line they have satisfied the either ordination council that was done or before this church that they have satisfied them and they've shared their testimony about their salvation experience of when they become followers of Christ. Beyond Another thing is that uh, they no doubt have they're sound in their theology. And by that, the best way I can say that is that they accept the Word of God as the infallible Word of God, the Bible. It's not something that you cut out what you don't like and you put in what you want to be there. It is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And if we don't follow that, then what else do we have to do except go on our own and that won't work in the sight of God and as we think about it also again that these men in their own hearts and their own minds that and I'm trusting that they've satisfied themselves that this is the will of God for this period in their life to serve as deacons in the position of this church here at Heritage in 1st Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8 Paul writing to young Timothy I just want to read uh, in verse 8. You can read through verse 13. We'll give some more. But I just want to look at verse 8 for just a moment. It already given the qualifications of the uh, pastor, overseer, whichever term that's used for that. And then he says in verse 8, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy for money. Paul listed four requirements for the position of deacon. First of all, it is to be worthy of respect. That's what it's talking about, being reverent, but it's to be worthy of respect, which it suggests that men whose character merits respect. The person's character, the integrity that they have will show forth in their lives irregardless of what man might profess with their mouth, it will be evidenced in their life. Secondly, Paul spoke about not being double-tongued. This refers primarily to the controlling speech that one must have. Not indulging in double talk is what it is saying there. It's not to say to one group or person this thing and then the next thing or next group they say something that's different than that. A person and I, I say for myself and I I don't say this and I don't mean it for a bragging way, but I, I think that if you see me one day, you ought to see me the same the next day. And if I tell you something one day, and if I can't keep that, I'll tell you why I can't keep it. And I think that these things are vitally important to have that kind of um, individual speech and so forth. Along with that is not spreading rumors to different groups of listeners. 
a deacon should be very careful and sometimes serving in this position, and let me say to the family of those that are going to be ordained here today, sometimes there's things that the pastor and the deacons must talk about and they must of church things and businesses and so forth and what's going on and so on that they really will not even tell their families about because it's to be that, that close, uh, tight-lipped about it. So keep that in mind, folks. The third thing it talks about, uh, it's speaking about in, in, in of saying here that not much wine, it's, to be, it's saying in much wine. Let me elaborate on this a bit. What it does, it forbids the love of alcohol. Now, I know in our day and time that we live and people question about it, abstinence and total abstinence from it. Let me read this to you for just a bit here. Total abstinence today from alcohol would guard the deacon from the clutches of intoxicants. Now, I'm not a bit ashamed to say to you that I am a total abstinence because I believe that our testimony is hurt by how we deal with things that the world accepts as norm. And that is one of them. And by being a, an individual that is totally abstinence, it would provide a credible witness to a society that needs help in combating alcoholism. The fourth thing that's spoken about here is not pursuing dishonest gain, not given to questionable money-making. Now, you say, well, that sounds odd. Well, listen, our lives, what we do is noticed by the world, noticed by the world, and we can hurt our testimony, we can hurt our church, and we can hurt the name of Jesus, and we need to be very careful about that. And, and the fact about it, it's the, uh, and please don't misunderstand, it's not talking about anything saying it's wrong to have money or it's wrong to be wealthy. It's not what it's talking about. But the quest for gain becomes base or dishonest when one makes personal gain rather than God's glory the prime object of their life. What becomes the most important thing? Anything can become a, a hindrance to us if we let it become, become between us and our walk with God. Let me say to those that are going to be ordained here today, if you want to be successful as to who you are and what you do, I want to point you to an individual in the Bible by the name of Enoch. This is in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. You might become realizing if you say, this is the father of the oldest man that ever lived upon this earth. Who is that? Methuselah. So you will remember Enoch. So Enoch, the Bible says, if you read that list down through there, it's interesting if you read in Genesis, and so-and-so lived so long and they died. So-and-so lived so long and they died. So-and-so lived so long, and they died. Enoch, Enoch walked with the Lord. And it says Enoch was not, for God took him, we find in the Scriptures. 
In other words, the walk that Enoch had with God was so intimate with him, so close with him. I don't know how that happened, but we could speculate on it and say that, well, Enoch walked with God every day. God came by and said, Enoch, it's time for us to take a walk. And we know it didn't happen that way, but it kind of gives us an idea that to be walking with God means to be in harmony with him, to be in obedience to him, and Enoch was that way. And we find that God took him without him ever dying physically in this life. Well, we go over to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the faith chapter. And you go to verse 5, and it says this, that uh, Enoch left this testimony behind. He left a testimony that he pleased God. Boy, wouldn't you like for everybody to be able to say about you honestly that they walked with God, their walk was so close, and their life pleased God. They could say that. I would hope they'd be able to say that honestly about me, and I think any of you that are serious about your walk with God would want someone want it to be said about you. They walked with God, and they were pleasing to him. And so... Fellas, look at him. If you want to be successful in in who you are and what you do, and please remember that, that you must be before you do. You must be saved before you can walk the Christian life. You must be who you are in the sight of God and be satisfied that God is satisfied with you before you begin to do all of the things And here are some things that I would encourage you out of experience. And that is this, that there is an intimate walk with God that most people do not reach. Most of his children do not reach. Now, I don't mean this negatively. I know that I walked with God a lot of years, but I was not walking in an intimate connection with God that, got, that was there waiting until when I came. And I tell you, in my case, in my testimony, God broke me. He broke me. He brought me down to where I really had that closeness to him. And that intimate walk. To be submissive to the Lord. Now, that sounds easy to say. But submissiveness to the Lord means that you come under the Lordship of Christ. We may use this term, hey, he's the boss, and what he says, that's what I'm going to do, okay? So learning to be submissive to the Lord. And by the way, each of these things is a learned experience. Learn how to have an intimate walk with God. Learn how to be submissive to God. Another thing is that the prayer life is so vital. The prayer life is so very vital. Disciples said to Jesus, what? Teach us to pray. Prayer is something that you learn or you develop in. Somebody says, well, you know, I just say a few words and I go on. But 
spending time with the Lord on a daily basis. Now, all of us pray throughout the day. The Bible tells us to, you know, to be constant in prayer. Now, I want to tell you right now, that does not mean to bow your head and close your eyes when you're driving your car. Doesn't mean that. That's not being constant in prayer. But we are constant in our prayer times. At least we'll come in through our minds and so forth. We talk to God. But let me encourage you something to do. You've got to have that time, if you want to develop your prayer life, that you get alone with you and God and you spend time talking to Him. You say, well, what would be a good guide for that, Pastor? Well, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the evil one. Each one of those you need to take and just in your mind, you develop every, each one of them in your prayer. That hallowed be is to praise God. And I, I tell you, the first thing that I do, and you should do, I believe, in all of God's people, when we approach the throne of God. Now, think about this. When we are in prayer, we're invited, and we're in access to the very throne room of heaven. The very throne room of heaven. Read chapter 4 in the book of Revelation. I'll give you a picture of what happens, things that goes on in that room. We have access to that. And I tell you now, you cannot give him too much praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. So develop your praise and then just move down through each one of those and study that and break it down and let it become your prayer, talking to God. And as you develop that, you will see what that experience will be. Let me go back to what now I've that but let me go back here to chapter 6 in the book of acts because there's some job description here that's that's drawn from this but in chapter 6 now these are not called deacons here uh some say these were the first deacons but that that's the word is not used deacon is not here but this looks like could be the forerunner of the description that fits the deacon in the position that they serve. Well, what was it? Well, there were the Hellenistic Jews. Now, Hellenistic Jews were Greek-speaking Jews. And at that time in the early church, there was the daily administration of food to the widows and so forth and so on. And so in the Hellenistic community, there was a concern that the Hellenistic widows were not getting their fair share. And so they came and spoke to the apostles about that, which was probably Hellenistic Jewish men who came and spoke to them and with their concern. And, of course, the answer came back, as you said here, in verse 3 of that chapter, seek out from you among seven men, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom we may appoint over our business. So they did. They chose out these men, and these men became servants of, of this. Notice this. The apostles were saying, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer 
and to the ministry of the word. This pleased the multitude. They chose the men and their name there in verse 5. Now, what do we draw from this? And this is it. It's a job description. There's a position that needs to be, and it's a position, and by the way, of a servant. That's what it is. It speaks about, in this word, diakonos, is the word that is used for being a servant. And that's what this position of being a deacon is. It is to serve the needs, but it also is to be in serving the needs out there. The pastor has more time to get into the word. The pastor has more time to get into delivering and ministering through that and so on and so forth. So keeping that in mind, this is the role. And a servant, as servant deacons, it is to be working together as a team with your pastor. It is a team effort. Now, I've been in the ministry, like I said, for 50-some years. I've pastored churches in Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia. And I, needless to say, I, there's been a lot of deacons. And I want to tell you that I've had some that I, I, I mean, just really, you just couldn't ask. They, they did some jobs. And then I've had some that I wondered how in the world did a church ordain these men to be in this position because it was, oh. What happens is that when you're called to be a deacon of God, you're not called to be a boss of the pastor. And I want to tell you, I think there's some people that get called, you know, I think some people feel like they're called to just lay people in a church to always keep something stirred up. I think some feel they're called to make sure the pastor does it their way. So I've had a lot of experience through the years, but I want to say to you that my view of a deacon's, that they are to be servants, but they are to be a team with the pastor. They are to be the spiritual leaders in the church, okay? Now, that's what I, I, I take on this, and some of these are my personal opinion, and anything that anybody says, you have the right to take it and apply it or take it and then forget it, you know, so. But understand that, not, that uh, you as deacons, you're not called to usurp the biblical authority of the pastor. And understand what I read here, the biblical authority of the pastor. The pastor is the under-shepherd. He is the one that certainly is there to feed the flock and so on like that. One thing a pastor is not to be, and I guess I've seen a few of these around they're not dictators. They're not dictators. They're servants, and they're feeding and leading the people of God toward the maturity of Christ, which all of us are to be. Now, I get down here, and let me, I'm going to share, and I'm, because in just a moment, I, I'm going to try to wrap this up, but I want to speak about priority. Fellas, listen to me very carefully what I'm going to say here and your families about priority. You must prioritize your time. And let me, first of all, let me say when you prioritize something, number one is that Christ is to be first in your life. 
Understand that. He is to be first in your life. You say, well, what? Just stay with me here a minute. Secondly, your family is number two. Now, you say, well, you mean Christ? Yeah, he's first because when you put first, put Christ first, and I'm going to tell you, that's where it brings your family to what a family should be, the love and the guidance and all of those things. So you got that. Now, what's number three? Number three is the church. Now, I want to tell you something. And I told churches when I'd, I'd go to be their pastor, my family is first, the church. It's, it's this order. It's Christ, it's my family, and it's the church. But what happens is when people get in working in church, and listen to me, not just deacons, but anyone working in the church, the church, the church is not equating of how you, close you are to God. This is something you do in your personal walk with God. And then the church is where you serve it out, but you do not put the church before your family. And you say, well, I'm so busy that I don't have time for my family. Well, I've got news for you. If you're too busy to have that, you're just plain flat out too busy. Too busy. Being busy does not mean that one is spiritual. Being busy does not mean that you're serving in the capacity of a deacon or whatever else in the way that you should. So understand that. If you're too busy to spend quality time with your family, then you're too busy. And then I want to say this to a little charge here, and then after this I'm going to be, I think, pretty close to finishing here. To the church, here's your charge. Church, you have the responsibility of supporting your deacons and your pastor. Let me say this again. You have the responsibility of supporting your deacons and supporting your pastor. Now, you, there are no telling. I mean, you may, hear, you may hear this about your pastor, or you may hear this about one of your deacons, or maybe all of your deacons, but let me tell you something. Until your pastor has proven that he is wrong, or a deacon has proven that he is wrong, in church, you stand behind your pastor and you stand behind the deacons. They need your support. You support them through your prayers. You support them by letting them lead you in the things that God would have them to lead you. Paul said in the scripture, he said, be you followers of me. Paul was saying as long, and now this is my interpretation, Paul is saying, as long as I'm following Christ, you follow me. As long as your pastor's following Christ, as long as these deacons are following Christ, then you follow them. You follow them. Pray for them. Support them in every way that you can. And that'll be, a good, that'll be the good uh, deacons that you have. And you know... You know, I said this about just like pastors and their wives, the wives, the pastor. And, you know, if the, if the wife, and the same with the deacons, the wives get behind them and, and they say, go get them, then I'm going to tell you, then they just have that urge there. They have that support they know they're getting. And so they get right on in and do the job even in a better way. 
The church do not ever hinder the servants of God when they are serving you if they're doing that in a biblical manner. That's just some things that I shared. And, you know, over 50 years, just sometimes you learn just a little bit and then you're able to share it. And I, may, I think I've learned a few things over the years, but I do not say that to brag in any manner. I just say that this is advice that I believe will be beneficial to you as the deacons and to your family, to you as the church, as you support them and start a journey with them here that we, with God's blessings on, what a great, great thing that would be. So I'm going to call the uh, praise team, I believe it is. Now, you know, you hear this saying that um, when you get that first baby, they don't give you an instruction book when you take it home. Y'all ever hear that? Well, I want to tell you, Pastor Luke did not tell me anything <laughs> other than just invite me. He never gave me an instruction book there. But anyway, we're here, and, and I'm relying on my brother here to help me through, and he has. And so, <laughs> oh, my. See? They must have forgotten but anyway, we're going to get through this and, and uh, so forth. And then what we're going to do is to have the deacons and, and their wives, well, the deacons are going to come, but their wives will be in support of them. And then I think we're going to have prayer over those, aren't we? All right. You all hear that? 